0: Yo, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick, flying solo. So to be honest, real quick, this is the second time I'm recording this episode because I just recorded 40 minutes worth of uh, audio and video, a 40 minute episode, and it didn't record the audio. So it's just me like, like a mime. So <laughs> I'm doing it again. I don't know if this will be 40 minutes because <laughs> that took a while. And trust me, it was really good stuff. So uh, just bear with and uh, I'll get through this uh, take two, I suppose. So the Warriors, they beat the Raptors 129, 117 at home at Chase Center. They have a two game winning streak and winning cures all so far, even if it's just two games back to back. The Warriors are now in 7th place in the West. They're basically like one game out of the 4th spot, but looking in the other direction, they're two games out of the 13th spot. So that's how tightly the Western Conference standings are right now. And you know, this game was was great. It was great just because like, you know, they looked crisp. Eventually, they are now one and zero. I had said in the last episode that there are ten games between now and the All Star break, and I think this is the time where they need to really, really ramp it up, get some momentum, like real sustained momentum, string some wins together, and just you know get their identity and go into the All Star break like with their minds. A little bit more at ease, right? I'm sure that a lot of them can probably put it out on their minds during the break. But like, if you go in and you are like feeling good about the team and you're looking forward to post All Star break and making a run to the end of the season in the playoffs, then that's obviously going to be better for your headspace. I said I would love to see them get to seven and three in these final ten games before the break, and one and zero so far. One and zero, and they head out on the road. To OKC on Monday, a bunch of good stuff in this one. Uh, I'll start with Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, I've talked about that guy since he was signed over the summer, and you know I've talked about him in the sense that, like, as a replacement for Gary Payton II, which to me is is pretty obvious because you lose a backup guard, you pick up another backup guard, and I've said that you know Dante DiVincenzo is a better all around player. I said that when he got signed. And it's not a knock on Gary Payton II. Love GP2. Love what he did for this team. But, you know, in a way, it's like for some of those (laughs) very, very uh, knee-jerk reactionary voices after Gary Payton II went to Portland. And, you know, I'm not knocking like loyalty or, you know, people's fandom or anything, but just the idea that the Warriors weren't willing to spend or... We're just tossing it all out the window. I mean, here's the thing, right? They have parameters. We know that. And if you don't like the parameters of their spending, then like, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing you can you can say. You can say, "Hey, it would be great to have both GP two and Dante DiVincenzo." But let's face facts. Like, if Gary Payton II was here, Dante DiVincenzo doesn't sign here, right? Like, why would he uh, sign and you know, go to a place where there's a guy who's playing his role that he wants. You know what I mean? Like that, that doesn't make sense. So I'm not saying it's like, I'd rather have one over the other at this point, but just knowing that there was hopefully a plan to see how everything plays out. Those are the folks I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anyone in particular, you know, nobody in particular YouTube comments on Twitter or whatever, but just in general, because you saw a bunch of this stuff where it's like, Uh, Oh, Gary are The the Warriors are cheap. And that's not even letting all of free agency play out. But that being said, the guy was super solid. 33 minutes, five for 10 from the field, two for five from three, 11 assists, a career high, uh, 12 points plus 24. And he himself after the game said, you know, finding out about his plus minus, he was like, well, you know, whatever. Like it's a, that's what happens when you play with, you know, two best shooters of all time. And to some extent, he's right. The plus minus stat is not like the greatest stat, it just tells you a little bit of something. And if we go uh, in that direction, um, you know, not only is he similar to Gary Payne II and what he can bring, right? Like he's a better all around guard, he could play point guard, off guard, he's a better shooter. He may not be as um, athletic outwardly or uh, have the greatest wingspan, but I mean, watch Dante DiVincenzo on defense. He is up in guys' grills and he's not a slouch in terms of athleticism. We've seen him get some crazy rebounds and we've seen him. He's great around the basket, you know, like Kirby in the second, obviously uh, more explosive of a leaper. But Dante DiVincenzo, one thing that he shares similarly with GP2 is that they have great touch off the glass. And DiVincenzo, he just – you know, he'll catch the ball. He knows where he is under the basket. And uh, I think that's something that, you know, watch him because he can hit the lips pretty, pretty quickly uh, before like a defender, like on a backdoor, when he gets down there, you hit him on a pass and he'll rise up and he'll kind of like pivot, you know, turn his shoulder in the air and lay it off the glass. So that's another plus. But looking at the plus minus, it's like I see a little bit of Andre Godala in what Dante Di Vincenzo brings to the warriors as well as that point of attack defensive guy as again and just being like another guard out there a smart guy who knows the game he makes the right decisions the right play and he's looking to get other guys involved so i think that's really really important especially as you know we're seeing Andre like kind of struggle to stay on the court, right? I think with him, it's like, we'll see him for a few games. He'll get like some kind of nagging injury and then he'll be out for like a month. So hopefully I would love to see him contribute down the stretch, especially in the postseason. season. But uh, I like DiVincenzo because, you know, I'm seeing a little bit of Andre and GB2 in him and also <laughs> Jonathan Kaminga, of course, brings a little bit of what GP2 and Andre Iguodala bring. The defense, the dunker spot stuff, the pressure on the rim that both Andre and GP2 have brought in their tenures over the years. So when you talk about losing Peyton II and Iguodala not being who he was in his Warriors prime, then I'm good with Kaminga. I'm good uh, with Dante DiVincenzo kind of splitting those duties more or less when they're on the court. And, I mean, Kaminga, uh, let's talk about him for a second. You know I love talking about Jonathan Kaminga. Um, he played 23 minutes, 5 for 7 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3, 2 assists, no rebounds. I mean, he was active, and there were times in Washington's game like he should have had that rebound, or he let another teammate get the rebound. But if you play 23 minutes, you should get – at at his size and his uh, effectiveness and as busy as he is under the basket, he should probably get like uh, at least like, you know, four rebounds or something. Uh, He had 15 points plus nine. I'm not being nitpicky about that stuff because uh, as I've said about Jonathan Kaminka, I think that, you know, with him and DiVincenzo I've said since like November that, the Warriors have found their seventh and eighth guys in the rotation and that they're, they're solid. And with Kaminga, you can see it. I said in the last episode, could Kaminga possibly be the Warriors second best player next season? And, you know, that all really depends on a lot. Like who's on this team next year, (laughs) like who uh, sticks around how this team ends up. Like if they can win the title again, then, you know, you run it back as much as possible. If they flame out, then maybe that's an excuse for the front office and ownership to make some wholesale changes. But with Kaminga it's not so much that I think he's going to be better than every, you know, everybody else besides Steph in every other category, but like just overall what he can do. I mean, you see him, right? Like we talked about for like a couple of years now, that guy can play all five positions on defense, right? You can play uh small bigs, He can play small ball centers uh, and probably, you know, get some minutes against regular size centers, right? We've seen him do that here and there, but how many guys can actually do that? Like legit guard Kyrie, guard John Morant, and then turn around guard uh, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, Chris Boucher, right? This Raptors team, not a very big team. Pascal Siakam was basically their center. So, you know, This game showed that the Warriors can score in the paint uh, against smaller teams, against uh, small ball centers. But with Kaminga, he can do all those things. And if he can lock down his three-point shot, his mid-range shot, then, I mean, that just makes him so much more dangerous because, of course, that opens up his driving lanes. And if guys can't sag off him anymore then he has options, right? Like his handle still needs to be tighter and yes, decision-making and counters and all that stuff. We know all that. And that's part of the development, but like, you know, he's not going to be four for six and hit four three pointers in a row at the end of quarters, but it's not like some random aberration, right? Like his stroke is good. And I've been saying that for a while he had a hitch in his stroke when he first got to the league, but they got rid of that early in his rookie year. You know, his motion is sound. It may not be like as pretty as like Clay Thompson's, but it's a solid motion. And he works on his shot. He works on his craft. And, you know, like the mid-range, right? I remember reading or hearing a report his rookie year that he was uh, watching a lot of Paul Pierce tape. Paul Pierce made a living shooting mid-rangers from the elbows. And if Kaminga can add that, as well as a more consistent three, I mean, those are things that are just muscle memory and reps, right? It's not like uh, a broken shot. I mean, I go back to last season, I kept saying, he doesn't have a broken shot. He doesn't have a broken shot. When everyone was saying, he's not a good shooter. I mean, you watch his free throws and his percentage may not be high, but like he only misses short and long. And those are signs of somebody who just needs to kind of like really, really Drill in the reps and get that motion in his muscles so that it's just automatic. So, if he can get that, it may, it may take a while, right? He's got to shoot a bunch of shots over the summer, but it may take a while for him to get to like, you know, 80% from the line, but it's within his future. I mean, he's 20 years old, just as ridiculous as it is. I mean, he's a young 20, he just turned 20 in October. Think about where Steph, Clay, Draymond were when they were 20. They were all in college, you know? I mean, Steph was having a hell of a time in the NCAA tournament when he was 20. But still, you know, what Kaminga's doing at his age is really, really, really impressive. What I like about him is, I said this last episode, and it's just a, a reality. Like, he's, he's unafraid. He talks about wanting to guard the toughest guy on the court, whether he's... A point guard who's mad quick with crazy moves and athleticism, or if he's like a big. So yeah, you 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 love to see that. And again, how many guys can do that? Who guard one through five? You know, maybe not, you know, a whole game at the five, but can do it dependably. Like if he gets switched, you're not worried about it. I mean, that's Draymond Green. And I'm not saying that they're the same player. They're totally different players. You know, <laughs> you know that. But just that he has that in his mental and physical makeup at age 20 is really, really, really promising. You know, like, sure, maybe he won't be second best player of the Warriors next season, but argument can be made top four really, really simply if he keeps developing. And that's the thing. He has to keep developing, he has to keep getting better. All those reports about him saying that he doesn't have a good work ethic. I mean, obviously I'm not in uh practices, I'm not in the uh in the facility, but it never seemed like that. And that's just the eye test of him wanting to be better and wanting to to be great. And that's what you see in how he carries himself on the court. He's not looking for his. You know, one of the things that I noticed when I keep talking about that Dallas game where he flipped the switch. And everything slowed down for him. He just started playing and making smart plays, the right play, and playing intelligently, playing um, to win, you know, instead of playing to stay on the court and instead of playing to put up numbers. Because he used to get the ball, and if it was open for a three, he would jack it up, like early in shot clock, 20 seconds left. But now he doesn't. Invariably, he will get the ball, even if he's open unless he has a clear driving lane, if he's open on the perimeter, he'll move the ball because he gets it. He understands that moving the ball can help you get not just a good shot, but a great shot and that the ball will come back to him. He will get his opportunities. He'll get easier opportunities. You know what I mean? And it keeps the team flow going. And I think that's a concept for a guy like him as talented and honestly, as cocky (laughs) as he is. It is huge. And I've said that beyond the foundational six that Steve Kerr talked about in the preseason with Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney, Jordan Poole, to me, uh, you know, for the last month and a half, Kaminga has been a foundational seventh guy, right? Like, I think that he is that important to the Warriors and their future. And this talk about, like, you know, ever trading him, for, for who, You tell me who you're going to get for him because this Warriors team that is banking on, that loves young talent, that loves like homegrown talent as much as like we do. They're not going to move him like when they're seeing how much progress he's made and the fact that he actually helps them win. You know what I mean? And he's the one guy who's going to keep this uh, window open longer, right? This is what kind of predicted – when he was drafted, and it's great to see it come into fruition. And I said about a month ago that uh, Dante Vincenzo and Jonathan Kaminga were legit closers, were earning their way as closers for this team. And I've talked about over the past couple weeks how Steve Kerr has options, right? Besides Steph, Clay, uh, Wiggins, Draymond, you could throw Looney out there, you could throw Kaminga, Dante DiVincenzo and, of course, Poole, depending on who's hot, who's playing well, who's in foul trouble, who's hurt, uh, just what the matchups are. And you saw that in this one. DiVincenzo was closing, right, because Poole didn't have the greatest game. And we know that he's had some questionable (laughs) late game moments decision-making wise. And then when Kevon Looney fouled out, he brought in Kaminga. He didn't bring in Anthony Lamb, which maybe two months ago he would have done, Steve Kerr. He brought in Kaminga and they closed it out. And it makes me beam with joy that we're seeing that, that they're getting those minutes in these situations it's in a game that a regular season game against the struggling Raptors, but a game that the Warriors absolutely need. Steph Curry talked about uh, needing to stack some wins and I'm sure he's frustrated, you know, frustrated with how the games have gone over the past couple weeks and I'm sure the team is frustrated. I know I'm frustrated. I'm sure you're frustrated. So it's good to see him like wrestle that away. You know, the Warriors closed this one, which they didn't do against uh, the Nets or the Celtics. The Grizzlies, you know, the Warriors stole that one for sure. You know, they it was the Grizzlies who didn't close. So it was good to see Steph just assert his will and him basically like, you know, take – what the what the Nick Nurse Raptors defense gave him, you know, dive into the basket, uh, cutting backdoor, whatnot. Steph played 39 minutes, which is a ton, uh, 13 for 21, nice. Four for eight from three, hit all five of his free throws, seven boards, 11 assists, two steals, 35 points, plus 13. That's solid right there. He hadn't been sharp as of late, but uh, you know he can get there. You know that you don't worry about him eventually turning it on. So uh, hopefully this is a sign of things to come. And in terms of Dante DiVincenzo, right? Like all the uproar about uh, not signing GP2 last season. It's interesting to me because Dante DiVincenzo, he's a guy that like, I think the Warriors should keep. I don't know what kind of salary cap luxury tax gymnastics they'd have to do. But if you get a guy like that who signed for cheap, he'd sign on to make good deal, right? Because uh, basically it's like he he was injured for a bunch of last season and you sign on the Warriors, the high profile team. This is what people have done throughout the dynasty. You prove your worth and then you sign a more lucrative contract either here or elsewhere, right? That's what Gary Payton II did, uh, Porter Jr. as well. And they're both gone, of course. But Dante DiVincenzo, like he's a legit good dude. I mean, like I said, if he reminds me of both GP2 and Andre Godala, that's a fourth guard you want to keep on the team. You know what I mean? Like if you have Steph, Clay, Poole, DiVincenzo, that's a solid, solid guard rotation. May not be the biggest, you know I mean? Except for Clay. And it's definitely not the most high rising athletic you know, drive to the basket, put a move on you, mash on someone's head. But you know, like that's that's a really, really skilled guard group. So, you know, we'll see. And the difference between him and GP2, it's like uh GP2 was more of a very, very excellent, like elite role player in those spots. Uh Vincenzo is a guy who, you know, didn't have to fight through the G League. He's a legit player with all this pedigree and he can do so much more and he's only 25, 26. So you're getting a guy like in his prime who can grow with pool, who can grow with Wiggins, who can grow with Kaminga. You know what I mean? And with as much youth that's on this team, you need more of those guys in that age range, right? You need a guy like, uh, you know, who's like Looney's age, Wiggins age, you know, pool's a little bit younger, but still in that range. So I think he's an important piece to have. I mean, you got to throw in Ryan Rollins, who the Warriors have signed for a while, who I like. You notice I don't mention uh, Moses Moody just yet because as much as I think Moody will be a great player, a solid, solid NBA player, it's rough. And as I've mentioned in the past, it's like he doesn't do anything right now that's better. He doesn't – like everything that he does well, somebody else On the roster does better right now so if you want shooting you bring in somebody else if you want defense you bring in somebody else if you want uh, a ball handling guard you're definitely bringing somebody else in you know what i mean and i've talked about also in the past how if the warriors are looking to the future and trying to figure out because you know are you going to sign all these young dudes to extensions you know maybe moody's a guy you move off from right because to me Patrick Baldwin Jr. has moved ahead of him in terms of like the, the future rankings for the Warriors and who's important to them in the future to keep. So, you know, if he's stuck, Moody is, if he's stuck behind like all these other guards and can't get small forward minutes, et cetera, then, you know, not jettisoning him because quote unquote he sucks or he's a bust, but just, Hey, you know, it might not be the best situation scenario moving forward. Right. Like, Hey, If Rollins is gone, if DiVincenzo signs somewhere else, then yeah, Moody has a spot there, right? But right now, it's like DiVincenzo might be the guy that I lean towards, Uh, even though he's shorter, you know, uh, shorter wingspan as well. But just overall, like, would I rather roll into next season with DiVincenzo or Moody? Of course, again, it depends on... What happens to the, to the Warriors and the direction they go in? Like if they're running it back, or if it's like, okay, let's uh, let's reset, you know, let's reset completely. Then, you know, who knows? Who knows how it goes there? Four teams, two NFL conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl Fifty Seven, new customers can bet just five dollars to get two hundred in free bets instantly. Not a new customer can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped up same game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. I'm still riding with Brock Purdy and I still can't believe he's taken it this far, but I'm 100% here for it. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. James Wiseman was active for the second straight game and for the second straight game, he did not play. Uh, It's unfortunate because I think it's been exactly a month since he played, like maybe December 28th or something. And it's, it's unfortunate because like, you know, there's all this chatter for him to be traded. And I think there's a lot of people who aren't as vocal on social media and whatnot that understand that he's had a star crossed career, that he's good. And every time he shows some flashes, he gets hurt. That, that's, that stinks. Right. But that he's not like a, a terrible basketball player. He's not. Again, no knock on a Donald Foyle as a person, but like that was a guy who didn't know how to play basketball, right? If you think that's James Wiseman, go go try to find highlights of Donald Foyle. That's a guy who had to basically build from the ground up in terms of understanding the game. Wiseman just, you know, needs to be better. Absolutely. But he was showing it. And if you move Wiseman now, I mean, you were going to sell low on him no matter what, but If he's finally starting to turn the corner a little bit, you know, uh, then that would be a a big shame to me, you know, also it's like, imagine how much better he could have been if he had been able to play the past few weeks. Yes. There's a lot of what ifs in his career. What if he never got hurt? What if he never tore his meniscus for some people? What if he never got drafted? But, uh, you know, the ankle isn't like a catastrophic injury. So can he give you what you need? And also, to Michael Green. I mean, we talk about Wiseman and the trade chatter or moving off of him. Hey, a <laughs> the need for a center also implicates Jermichael uh, Green's lack of effectiveness. And he's been he's been decent last couple of games, right? I'm surprised he didn't play against the Nets. They could have used him, but uh, he he played well in this one. 16 minutes, three for five from the field, one for three from three, hit all three of his free throws, six boards. 10 points. So if he can bring that consistently, then it's like, you know, he's not the biggest center, but then maybe you can bring in Wiseman for that. So if Joe Green give you 10 to 15 minutes a game solidly, and then that puts less pressure on Wiseman, maybe Wiseman give you five to 12, right? You may say like, that's terrible for a number two pick, but his career, look at it in context. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, I can't convince anyone if they are already of the mindset, like Wiseman stinks, get rid of him. Like that's that's beyond conversation. But if you're on the fence and you're like, ah, man, you know, we got to just cut ties and move on. Then who can you get that guarantees the Warriors will be the front runners, right? Because they've lost a couple games, the Celtics and Nets games specifically, because of the starters. The starters couldn't close, and they know they weren't closing. They know they got to be better, but that's not because they didn't have a backup center. You can make the argument that, like, hey, if they had a better backup center, then uh, they run away with those games. But guess what? Michael Green was available for the Nets, and uh, he was out versus the Celtics, so now he's back. (laughs) Those games were within the Warriors' grasp. It wasn't on the benches. It wasn't on injured James Wiseman. So if you want to give up on Wiseman now for someone that guarantees that the Warriors are a top four team, then I'm definitely open. But to me, it's like, hey, if the Warriors have closed out those games, they're on a six game winning streak. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, some of these uh, anti-Wiseman people might be converts or, you know, straddling the fence people. You know, hey, let's give the kid a chance. We're doing good. You know, we won a title without him last year. We'll win a title with him giving five to twelve. Maybe, maybe. You know, maybe this is uh good vibes from a win. But this is also just like I want to see the kid have a chance. And I think he could be much better next year. Because you know it's funny, like I forgot to mention after the Grizzlies game that one thing I wanted was that I really wanted to see. Kaminga and Wiseman play against the Grizzlies because what I remember from that play-in loss a couple seasons ago was that the Warriors obviously decimated by injuries, rolling guys out there like Brad Wanamaker, they were not athletic and they were quote unquote old on the way out, which is what gave the the Grizzlies all their like strange uh, uh, overconfidence (laughs) in what they were going to become. So what I wanted was like. I want to draft guys who are young and athletic, and they got that in Wiseman and Kaminga. Obviously, Wiseman, he played decently. I mean, that was a really good game for him uh, on Christmas against the Grizzlies, but he hasn't like popped, obviously, the way that uh, Kaminga has. But like seeing Kaminga in that Memphis game is a near uh, a two-year journey for me to see something like that because Kaminga – And John Morant were the most athletic dudes on that court at any given time. Right. And that's a big deal because it was all about before. It was all about the the Grizzlies being young and more athletic and up and coming. But now you have Kaminga who is younger than most of their uh, players, most of the Grizzlies players. And he's more athletic than most of the Grizzlies players like seeing him rise up over Desmond Bain was was awesome to me. You know, I always talk about how he's such a fast riser, like really, really fast. I mean, Desmond Bain is shorter and has short arms, but Kaminga just rose up over him. And then the offhand, the lefty, lefty dunk past uh, Brandon Clark. I mean, that was a thing of beauty. Brandon Clark is big and athletic, right? He's an athletic uh, dude for his size. And Kaminga literally looked like he flew past him. You know, Brandon Clark went for the uh, the block over his head and Kaminga had the ball in his left hand far away from the block and just mashed it in with room to spare. So that was very, very satisfying for me. And I hope to see that from Wiseman again, pie in the sky type stuff. But like this is hopefully the, the trend. The Warriors, like I said, they got to put together a run. They got to put together a run and really, really just get some some of these wins. Like seven and three would be a godsend to me. That would prove to me that like the Warriors that we've been imagining, that we've been hoping for, that they exist out there and that this could actually, we can just really just flip the switch. I mean, look at the Grizzlies. They're on a five-game losing streak. It's not about peaking in January. It's about peaking in March, April. Into the playoffs. So, you know, that's what a dynasty, a championship, multi championship winning team affords you is this kind of perspective that, like, hey, if they can find it, if they can start hitting their stride, then all bets are off, right? We've seen that they can rise up and play against the best teams in the league, the Celtics, the Grizzlies. We'll see them against the Nuggets on the road uh, on this next road trip. So, you know, that's, uh, what I've been hanging my hat on and it's just nice to get, you know, out of this, uh, rut of one loss, one win, (laughs) one loss, one win, and at least have a couple in a row and hopefully they can snag this one in, in OKC. Hopefully we see Wiseman in that one. I'd love to see him play against some of those younger dudes, uh, on the thunder and, you know, I think I think things are promising. Another thing about trades is like, you know, maybe one side effect of the West in particular and just, you know, a lot of teams being in the mix for the playoffs is that there might be teams that hold on to their guys longer than they normally would. They might be like, "Hey, we have a shot at the playoffs, so we're not going to trade people." Or there might be teams that are like, "Oh, we're a piece or two away." And so that might drive up the value for some guys, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, what's the offer for uh, Alex Caruso? Guess what? You know, if the Warriors best offer is Wiseman, Moody, a pick, do I green? I don't know, whatever. Uh, there's could be somebody that beats that, you know what I mean? Or whatever the, the, the offer might be. So it's basically just like, it's going to be a tough market and the costs Especially since the Warriors love to hold on to their young dudes, the cost might be too high to make anything worth it. Because you'll be giving up a lot by losing some of these uh, lotto picks, but you'll be giving up even more if other buyers are driving up the prices. Just a thought, you know what I mean? If the Warriors can keep going with what they have right now, then then um, you know if they keep winning games, then hey. I'm good to go. I can roll with Jermichael Green, even though he's the one dude I've always said was kind of questionable in the rotation. And, you know, I thought of that because of the YouTube comments. So I just want to quickly also say that, uh, you know, when I record these episodes, sometimes they're just like right after the game, like immediately and late at night. And I don't hit on everything. And what I appreciate is the next day getting into the comments with people because the conversations and the thoughts, ideas, they, you know, trigger other kind of epiphanies and and thoughts and ideas for me so you know these are things that i appreciate so basically i'm just saying like thanks to all you folks who comment on the regular who've commented once before uh who engage in this kind of like interesting little community of warriors fans who i don't know them personally but i feel like the people i talk to on the regular it's like you know you kind of this this bond of warriors fandom which uh I appreciate, and just in the way that it is, I've never really experienced it in any other way. And uh, yeah, so, and if you wanted to comment and haven't yet, please do join the conversation because uh, it's it's a lot of fun for, for me and hopefully y'all out there. And one final, final thing. It came out that uh, the Memphis scorekeeper might be fudging stats for in favor of Jaron Jackson Jr. like giving him better defensive stats like steals and blocks. I think it's almost like double. He has double the amount of steals and blocks at home than he does on the road. And it's interesting to me because I don't watch Jaron Jackson Jr. that much. I think he's a really good player, but just don't have time to watch a lot of Grizzlies games. But you know, all the chatter about him being the leading Defensive player of the year candidate, and always seeing him basically foul out or get into foul trouble against the Warriors. Like, it's just weird to me that, like, a defensive player of the year can foul out so much, right? Because isn't part of the art of defense, like, not fouling out and being smart and crafty? Am I just spoiled by, like, Draymond Green, who doesn't foul out that often and gets ejected more than he fouls out? So, just a thought, and if it is true that Memphis, the scorekeeper, is fudging these stats, that's just pointless, man. That's wrong. You know what I mean? Because you're getting also into people's pockets because there's incentives tied to defensive player of the year awards. There's incentives tied to uh, you know all defensive teams. So that's just kind of sketchy and like you know, there's no reason to do it. Like he's a fine enough defensive player. But uh, to do something like that, especially in this day and age, in the internet age, when people are watching, there's always people watching for all these little things. So, you know, if you're going to do it for a whole season, eventually you're going to get caught because someone's going to look at the stats and be like, man, you know, he, he seems way better at home than he does on the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, that's, that's all I got right now. I'll catch you all after the, the OKC game. That is another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Patrick E. Pino